If you're going to run a great business, you've got to have great people, and finding them is a huge part of that puzzle. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. ZipRecruiter.com has a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. It identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. The right candidates are out there. You can find them, but ZipRecruiter is how. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. One more time, try it for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. ZipRecruiter, it's the smartest way to hire. Once you check out their interface and you see those candidates come right into your inbox, you're going to realize it's a great choice. ZipRecruiter.com slash buck you are entering the freedom hut entire media is focused on what's going on at our southern border right now they're saying it's cruel it's inhumane it's terrible and of course it's all about trump but is that the case Can we break down the policy? Can we understand what's really happening here and what happened before Trump was in office that led to the crisis? Plus, I get the sense that not a lot of folks in the media want to talk about that Inspector General report that fell down from the sky like an anvil last week. There was testimony today by the IG in front of the Senate. Here's the short of it. Doesn't look good for the FBI, folks. We'll get into that and more coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Great to have you with me. Nice weekend up in NYC for the Buckster, but back down now in the swamp. Indeed, things are swampy here in Washington, D.C. It's like 90 degrees outside, so there's that with a high humidity. I feel like I should be walking around clearing brush with a machete and trying to avoid uh, boa constrictors and such. But everyone wants to talk about what's going on at the border right now. I can't help but feel like there's a little bit of of an intentional shift away from an Inspector General report that was appalling with what it told us about the FBI. I mean, the the notes in that report, the stuff that came out, it, it can't be ignored. It can't be pushed aside. And yet, that's what they're trying to do. The fact, I mean, I was reading this report over the weekend. I went through the report, the, the, the whole text of it. I had a couple of train rides, so I was able to knock, knock it off then. And as you go through it, you keep reminding yourself, or I kept reminding myself, they said there's no bias? There's so much bias. It's like one giant homage to anti-Trump bias. It is the deep state in detail... And yet, they tell us that there's uh, really nothing all that, all that biased about it. Just stunning stuff. Uh, you you had the Inspector General today 
getting asked uh, by members of the, the Senate, uh, Senate Judiciary Committee, asking questions about what's going on and, you know, what what the reality is here of this report. And I, I got to tell you, there is some more troubling information that that came to light. There's more stuff um, that came out that does not look good. Does not look good. Um, for example, they had to use, I mean, this is one that really struck me. They had to use... DOD software to recover the text messages of some of these FBI agents. FBI text messages on, remember, this is on official devices, folks. This is not on their personal devices. This is not, you know, diving into their own personal lives. This is just, you have a work device. What are you saying on your work device? Which even a private company is usually going to keep that stuff stored. And they had trouble maintaining records of what the communications were. I, that's just crazy. This is discover uh, discoverable, meaning in, in a discovery process, in a court proceeding, you're supposed to maintain this stuff for exactly that reason. And they had to use DOD software to track it down and actually get these text messages back. No question right now. No question at all. Based on, remember, this is the testimony I'm talking about today and the IG report. I read over the weekend. Uh, But (laughs) the FBI was trying to slow roll and then hide information. That is what they were doing. Uh, That's what was going on here. Um, And the fact that their bureaucratic impulse, that the FBI's bureaucratic impulse here was to try and find a way to say, well, yeah, you know, this is some people's personal opinions. No, no, I'm sorry. There were explicit exchanges between FBI and a DO, FBI agent, DOJ lawyer, about taking action. About taking action on the Trump campaign, against the Trump campaign, to stop it. And they're going to say there's no bias? It's laughable. But if you redefine the word bias so it no longer has meaning, then I suppose there is no bias. But if you can redefine a word like bias so that it no longer really means anything, then you also can redefine the law, which is what we are seeing happening time and time again. The same way that they can say that Hillary Clinton didn't break the law, didn't have, uh, well, she did have classified on her server, right? But somehow she wasn't responsible for it. They just made it up as they went along. And what you see is that if they're willing to do that, if they're willing to rewrite the law in real time as is needed by their political proclivities then we're all in a whole lot of trouble then we've got really really bad stuff that we have to deal with and that's what i think happens here this is much worse folks it's much worse than we were led to believe last week as i read through this you've got fbi agents crying i'm with her we got to stop trump none of them in favor of trump and i and as i said i refuse to believe i utterly refuse to believe that if the FBI in the course of this, looking at the Hillary Clinton email people and email investigators, and then looking at who got involved with the early Russia probe, the early part of it, that if they had pro-Trump stuff, we wouldn't know about it. They would have told us, of course, because that would be so beneficial for their side to say, oh, look, there are pro-Trump people too, but there aren't pro-Trump people, at least involved in these investigations at the top level. Deeply, uh, deeply troubling.
There are some other people, though, who are going to... They're, they're, they're in for some rough stuff. The Inspector General uh, Horowitz was, in response to a Grassley question, uh, dealing with Comey's memos as part of this. Play clip 15, please. Are you investigating Comey's handling of his memos? And does that include the classification issues? And should Mr. Comey expect a report when it is complete? Um, we received a referral on that from the FBI. We are handling that referral, and we will issue a report when um, the matter is complete, consistent with the law and rules, a report that's consistent and takes those into account. That's a yes. They are looking at James Comey. They are trying to figure out whether or not he broke the law and classified it. Can you imagine, folks? James Comey, Mr. I'm so, I'm the last honest man. James Comey, whose judgment he thinks from way up on high in the realm of Comeydom, you know, eight, eight feet and change up in the air, that he understands the law better than the law. Meaning that whatever it says doesn't really matter or whatever the DOJ or FBI regulations are don't really matter because Comey knows better. That guy could now be in jeopardy for passing along classified information. Folks, we've established here for a long time that lower-level people violate these rules and have their lives ruined. I remember, I remember what it was like to just be a little nobody at the CIA that nobody cared about, and knowing that if I messed up, I was going to be made an example of. Not only would I be punished, made an example of. And I know people that it happened to. I knew somebody on the military side who was downrange and because of comms issues had a problem with which whether he was using a high side system or or just a anyway, I won't get into the specifics of it. But he was just trying to make sure that he was supplied and, and that guys knew what information I mean, what uh, what material he needed. He was at a, at a combat outpost in Afghanistan. And they investigated him for months and months and months and threatened UCMJ and all kinds of stuff. Didn't do anything. I mean, there was. Did, did he do anything wrong? Not that I'm aware of. Right. I mean, I, he was a, a friend of mine. I, I knew it was just a guy who was in the military. Uh, you know, wasn't was in the intel community. But, you know, you, you hear these stories of people, what they're put through. And then you see what happens when you're Comey, when you're Hillary, when you're these other folks. And the double standard is just too much. It's just too much. And this notion of of bias, uh, this notion of bias is something that I have to return to because we were lied to by the press last week. And we've been lied to by the Inspector General of the Department of Justice. Lied. That is what happened here. They have lied to us. It is a falsehood is a falsehood to say that there was no bias in the report. They must think we're really stupid, because when you read through the report, and I, I don't recommend you do it because it's very boring, but just go to the section um, where they're talking about something about much of the FBI agents' communications about Trump. Any person with a third-grade reading level who went through that would say, oh, no, there's bias here. No question. There's bias here. So are, are we just supposed to move along and, and think that somehow uh, we are going to get better by pretending this never happened. I find this very, very troubling. Oh, one, one more thing on this came from the inspector general today, the testimony today before the Senate with 
Horowitz of the DOJ. He was asked a question by Senator Cornyn about Comey and why he might have made some of the decisions he made. Play 17. Is it a fair inference to draw that Director Comey, expecting Ms. Clinton to win the presidency, was thinking about his future as the FBI director? I think that was a concern we had, certainly where it's even clearer in that October time period, because we have testimony that indicated that when he explained why, when he explained through his chief of staff why he was going to do what he did on October 28, he was concerned about his survivability. Comey's a Comeyist, folks. I've said it here on the show. It's true. His first priority, his last priority, it's always been the greatness of James Comey. He's really a kind of a creepy and scary guy, a little delusional, maybe a lot delusional. But this was about maneuvering for him to stay as FBI director. He's put the country through this nightmare of Russia collusion and the special counsel and all this stuff because of his own personal feelings and his own careerism and his own ambitions. Really appalling stuff. Uh, We've got more here on the Inspector General. You'll notice, though, that I'm leading with the IG report. You know why I'm doing that? You know that I talk about immigration here on the show a lot. I'd say it's a top three topic on the Buck Sexton show. Why am I not leading with the day? Because I think the media wants us to. I think their first priority right now is to just run a lot of stories about kids crying as they're taken from their mothers, use that as a means of bashing Trump, but also as a distraction from this IG report, which is breathtaking in its brazenness, right? The conclusions are garbage. The conclusions are are a testament to nincompoopery on an epic scale. But also what, what we've been saying along, what you and I have known here, is that there was a deep state element inside the government working against Trump. It was very real. We have proof, and we were going to get more proof, because I think it's a lot worse, and this is important too, a lot worse in the Russia collusion investigation than it even was in the Hillary emails. And their only hope now, I think, is if they can somehow do real damage to Trump before this Mueller probe winds down. Because if they don't do damage to him, they're never going to, the institution, the people involved in it, FBI, DOJ, they're never going to be able to survive the public outcry, you know, survive in terms of their their reputations and perhaps even their freedom if they're involved in anything criminal. The public outcry is going to be deafening when we find out just how much they were trying to jam up and honestly frame Trump, which is really a part of all this too. 844 900 900 buck. If you would like to uh, chat, please do give a ring. We should uh, discuss this. We have so much more coming up here on the Inspector General Report and and also the uh, the latest, what seems to be the latest effort to try and entrap the Trump campaign by a person with connections to the FBI. We got that. I, I, folks, jam-packed show. So I, I really do hope you can stay with me through, through much, if not all of it. Uh, we'll get to that and more in just a moment. There's going to be action on the floor of the House this week if the FBI and DOJ do not comply with our subpoena requests. We're going to get compliance, or the House of Representatives is going to use its full arsenal of constitutional weapons. Documents do not begin to be turned over tomorrow, and and a, a clear way and path forward for everything else is not clear here in the next couple days. Uh, there's going to be hell to pay by Wednesday morning. We need the documents, folks. We need the 
original source documents here, and I'm glad to see that Trey Gowdy is kind of back to the Trey Gowdy that I thought was there, who was a guy who understood how dirty the other side plays, who understood that you really have to hold their feet to the fire to get to the truth. Uh, You know, he was saying he thought the Mueller probe was just fine. I don't know where people get... I think they allow it to become conflated in their minds with, well... Looking into Russia interference in the, in the investigation or the in the uh, in the investigation, gosh, the election. Pardon me. <laughs> looking in the investigation, looking into Russia collusion as it involved the election is one thing, but it's also a wildly overstated thing. I actually had here today on Rising show I'm doing as part of the Hill Hill TV slash Rising. Those who want to see it, I interviewed James Clapper. And I got to ask him some of these questions, and Clapper even said, "We got to we got to wind down this Russia probe." He knows it's not going anywhere. I asked him because I've been wanting to ask him for a long time. He kind of he kind of just sits there and answers his questions, kind of. You know, he's like kind of mutters, and he's not a, not the most dynamic guy. Uh, that starts to sound a little bit like David Gergen there. But I asked him, "What can you do about Russia?" to get them to stop meddling in the election because they've been meddling for a long time. And he said, yeah, they've been meddling for decades. And what, what needs, do you know what the former director of national intelligence, who's neck deep in all this Russia collusion, conspiracy nonsense. When I asked him today, you know, face to face, what can the Trump administration do that not only would stop Russia from its interference, but would, Stop the critics against the Trump administration from saying that he's Putin's puppet and all this other stuff. You, you know what he told me? You know what Clapper said? Make a strong statement about Russia and how it's this is not acceptable. And I almost wanted to laugh and accept it's not funny, right? But let's see. Oh, okay. So that's going to handle the problem. So you think that Trump says, Russia, stop meddling in our elections. Stop being losers who meddle in our elections. Trump does that. It does not stop Russia from whatever it's trying to do behind the scenes. But by the way, meddling elections, think about how hard that would be. Really. I mean, the voting machines are not connected to the Internet. Messing with our elections on a on a scale that would matter? What, messaging? They, they're going to pretend like that's, oh, a, a couple of Russian trolls can overcome a multi-billion dollar propaganda apparatus in this country? I mean, you got you got CNN, the enemy of truth running around pretending to be objective when all it does is Democrat talking points and helping the DNC along at every possible turn. Russia's that good at propaganda? They're going to overcome ABC, NBC, CBS, all the rest of it? CNN? I don't think so. But that's what they, that's the the pretense. But you see, it was really interesting to push on this issue today and, and to get Clapper to just say that he doesn't have an answer. This is just whining, folks. It's whining because Trump lost the election. They don't have a response to how do we get Russia to stop whatever it is that it's doing? Uh, we can't. How will you get the press to leave Trump alone and stop acting like he's Putin's puppet? Well, you know, we don't know. Those are the real answers. They don't want to give them, but when pushed, they have to because they don't have anything else. There's nothing else for them to say. Uh, by the way, I wanted to get into, um, and, and we will in just a moment here, uh, this latest report on 
on the uh, possible connection between someone who's Russian connected, who maybe has FBI ties, offering dirt. I think this was in the Washington Post over the weekend, offering dirt on Hillary uh, involving Roger Stone. I want to talk about it for a bunch of reasons. One of them is that guess who's sitting down with Roger Stone this week to talk about the article? That's right. Yours truly on uh, on rising dot or hill dot TV slash rising. So we'll get into that. And then, of course, immigration. Big, big discussion of immigration coming up. I asked you last month when you were before the Appropriations Committee about the Russia investigation. You confirmed that time you, you do not believe it is a witch hunt. Special counsel investigation has already resulted in the indictment of 20 individuals, three Russian companies. Do you have any reason to believe that this investigation has been discredited? Senator, as I said to you last month, and as I said before, I do not believe Special Counsel Mueller is on a witch hunt. Thank you, and I appreciate that. He doesn't believe it, but it's going to be a tough case to make, folks, once we get the underlying information about how they pushed the whole Mueller probe forward, what was involved there, who was making what kind of decisions. I have a feeling that it's it's going to be a very bad day for the FBI when that all comes down. But uh, we will see. In the meantime, you have this story in the Washington Post that I mentioned before the break. Trump associate Roger Stone reveals new contact with Russian national during 2016 campaign. And I just have to keep plugging that. If you haven't already, go to uh, hill.tv slash rising. Um, I will be you can watch our shows from last week and this week. We just launched, as you know, had Attorney General Jeff Sessions on last week interview got picked up by every major news outlet in the country. And then also, this week, we're going to have Roger Stone on. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's going to be just me and Roger. We're going to have quite a conversation. Assuming he doesn't, you never know with guests, right? They could always back out. I, I don't know if Stone's really going to show up or not. I don't know if he'll show me the giant tattoo of Nixon on his back. I almost have a hard time believing it's real, even though I've seen photos. Anyway, Stone and I are supposed to sit down and chat later this week. But here's this piece in the Washington Post about Stone and the, uh, yeah. One day in late May 2016, Roger Stone, the political dark sorcerer and longtime confidant of Donald Trump, slipped into his Jaguar, or if you're British, Jaguar, and headed out to meet a man with a Make America Great Again hat and a viscous Russian accent. The man, who called himself Henry Greenberg, offered damaging information about Hillary Clinton, Trump's presumptive Democratic opponent in the upcoming presidential election, according to Stone, who spoke about the previously unreported incident in interviews with The Washington Post. Greenberg, who did not reveal the information he claimed to possess, wanted Trump to pay $2 million for the political dirt. You don't understand Donald Trump, Stone recalled saying before rejecting the offer at a restaurant in the Russian ex, uh, expat magnet of Sunny Isles, Florida. He doesn't pay for anything. Later, Stone got a text message from Michael Caputo, a Trump campaign communications official, who'd arranged the meeting after Greenberg had approached Caputo's Russian immigrant business partner. How crazy is the Russian, Caputo wrote, according to a text message reviewed by The Post. Noting that Greenberg wanted big money, Stone replied, waste of time. You know, folks, the press is running with this because they're saying, oh, look, Stone had another contact with a Russian. Oh, more lies about Russian contacts, right? That, that's the, their initial takeaway. 
And then also, oh, look, this is the collusion about damaging information on Hillary that they've been warning us about, right? Oh, they're going to have all this damaging collusion information to, to share and to, to show. And what I see here is a dangle. Uh, if you don't know, in intelligence circles, uh, dangle is somebody who uh, pretends to be interested in helping or, or defecting, you know, to, to see if they can get somebody to bite. Right. So in the espionage world, the dangle is, you know, if I show up and say, oh, I've got the microfilm, do you want to pay for it? And then I try to establish and, I, and I'm really just trying to entrap you or something. That's how a, a dangle works. This looks like a dangle to me. I used to work at the CIA, so I have some idea how this stuff goes, as you know. Uh, this looks like somebody tried to set them up. Uh, because, first of all, the uh, the information was never exchanged. Two million dollars. Why would you want two million dollars if Russian intelligence was involved in this and they just wanted to hurt Hillary and get that out there? It doesn't make any sense that they would put such a high price tag on. At least doesn't make sense to me. What I see here is uh, it likely it's likely that this individual who people are reporting are saying already had ties to the FBI, this Russian. Um, they ran this guy at the Trump campaign to see if they could get them to bite. This is entrapment, folks. This is what they're doing. Just like with uh, Halper in the U.K. and these other individuals whose names have, have come to light through all this different reporting and all these different government sources that have, at least behind closed doors, confirmed it to different news outlets. They were trying to create the appearance of Russia collusion. That's what I see here. Now, th think about what that means. Maybe this was the plan all along. Maybe the real decision here from within the FBI was to have the insurance policy in place long before Strzok ever talked about it. To establish a willingness to pay for illegally obtained information about Hillary Clinton so that no matter what happened, they could sink the Trump campaign. Now, you may say, Buck, but it didn't happen that way. Yeah, I don't think any of the Trump people went along with it. I don't think they were able to be entrapped. But what what do we make of that? If I'm right here, and if my theory is correct, that what's really going on is people from within the FBI were trying to use their resources, their time, and their access to find ways to undermine not just the Trump campaign, but to put in place essentially a, a hidden, uh, hidden fail-safe so that if it looked like Hillary was going to lose, or if it looked like there was a need for it, they could uh, run to the press with, oh, Trump campaign people were willing to pay for this bad information about Hillary. I'll also note, by the way, I don't believe, and people disagree with me on this, but I, I don't really care, if you get information from a source about your political opponent, I don't think you're under any obligation to not use that information based on who the source is. Assuming it's true, right? Because let's say that the Russians, and I know that we're going down the rabbit hole a little bit, let's say the Russians had approached the Trump campaign and said, you know, we actually have information here to show that Hillary was laundering millions and millions of dollars from the Trump Foundation into her own account. Let's, this is a, I'm, I'm making this up, but just, well, it sounds so plausible, right? You're like, really? 
Hillary's like, don't tell them. Giving it all away. Um, but let's just say for a second that that was happening. And the Russians came forward and said, well, you know, we we maybe hacked into some banking records. Don't worry about that. All you need to know is that Hillary is laundering millions of dollars. You, you, what is the Trump campaign supposed to sit on that and say, no, we're not going to we're not going to do anything with that information. I'm just saying, I, I don't know where this idea comes from. What about a foreign news source? What about a foreign newspaper? If a British journalist, oh, you see where I'm going here. If if British journalists approach you with information about your political opponent, do you is that now foreign interference in the election? Are you colluding? If they're giving you true information about somebody? What isn't the truth kind of a defense against collusion here at some level? As long as you're not engaged in any actual illegal activity. I have a different take on this than a lot of folks. I just don't see it the way that they want to see it. But back to this uh, this Stone situation. So he didn't actually pay any money. No, nothing exchanged hands. Nothing happened here. The simplest way of putting it. But there is yet another report here about Russians and shady business. And I think that the I think the media is running out of these tricks because we know they've been holding some of this stuff back to use for. Uh, maximum impact. We know that they held back the meeting at Trump Tower, for example, so that they could use it when they wanted to use it as part of a, you know, damage, create the most damage possible for Trump during the Mueller probe. They knew about that for months. This, though, this stoned thing, this is weak. This is really weak. Somebody sits says that they've got uh, information about your political opponent. You sit down with them. They want money. You say no. You, what, what have you done wrong? Nothing. But Where did this dangle come from? Think of how many ways there are to get the information. You know, there's there's all this nonsense about how it has to be so cloak and dagger and they have to have all these behind closed door meetings. It'd be so easy to get the information into American into American hands. In fact, if you wanted to get information out there about Hillary Clinton's emails, you could just run it through an intermediary like WikiLeaks. Right. This is not you need to meet with any campaign officials. There's no reason. Their whole theory doesn't make any sense. The Russians hacked Hillary's emails. WikiLeaks was used as the cutout, put them out there for everyone to see. And I'm sorry, they really hacked, pardon me, they hacked Podesta's emails, but it hurt Hillary. But the the Russians hacked, and then they put these emails out there, and it has the same impact whether the, you know, it doesn't matter who, who publicizes them. So the whole storyline here that, oh, they were trying to have these contacts in advance of WikiLeaks doing the document dump, that they were trying to find a way to work with the Trump campaign. It just doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make sense. This is all about oppo research. Meanwhile, we know that Hillary and her campaign paid foreigners to use Russian sources to then weaponize the intelligence community and the FBI against the Trump campaign. That all happened. That's all fact. How are we even having a discussion still about Trump and Russia collusion when the only collusion that we know about, I know that Trump has been making this case, but he's right. The only real collusion was on Hillary's side, was with the Democrats. And the only real cheating that we know of was Hillary against Bernie Sanders, for one. And then all of these partisans on behalf of Hillary Clinton in the FBI, in the DOJ, and then working through Fusion GPS with those FBI and DOJ uh, officials to try and sink Trump before the election. Remember, they didn't have what they needed to sink him before the election. You can't 
You know, remember when Omar says, you know, take a shot at the king, you best not miss. If you're going to try to destroy the Trump campaign, you better be darn, you're using information that you got from some sh- uh, shady sourcing and you better be right because otherwise it looks like you're trying to pull a Dan Rather with fake National Guard documents. That's why they didn't go after him before with this stuff. The Hillary collusion apparatus didn't get what it needed against Trump. That's why they didn't use it before the election. It's not because they had some sense of fair play. And then these leave-behinds who thought that Hillary would never win after the election, once it was clear that Trump was commander-in-chief, now they had to double down and try to find a way to take down his administration because the longer he's in office and the longer that we get to ask questions here about what really happened, the greater jeopardy they, meaning Comey and Yates and Strzok and McCabe and the whole crew, Clapper, Brennan, the greater jeopardy they are in for their actions as a result. It all, it all, once you start to piece it together, it makes sense, doesn't it? Once you start to pull the pieces together, you, you can see where I'm going with all this. Uh, all right, team, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Stay with me. When it comes to defending America, it is not enough to merely have an American presence in space. We must have American dominance in space. So important. Very importantly, I'm hereby directing the Department of Defense and Pentagon to immediately begin the process necessary to establish a space force as the sixth branch of the armed forces. That's a big statement. We are going to have the Air Force and we are going to have the Space Force separate but equal. It is going to be something so important. Making space great again, baby. That's what Trump's doing. Space Force. It sounds like a a cool TV show. You know, I should probably go back and watch some of Buck Rogers, because of all the Bucks that came before me, I feel like Buck Rogers was the best. Uh, Buck Rogers is the one that does the most for the Buck name, unlike Uncle Buck and some of these other charlatans out there. Uh, but anyway, the Space Force is, is a real thing that Trump is looking to looking to get going. Here's uh, CNBC reporting um, that he floated the idea as part of his national security strategy on March 13th, saying that space is a warfighting domain just like the land, sea, and air. And the president described how he had originally coined the term as a joke while discussing U.S. government spending and private investment in space. We have the Air Force, we'll have the Space Force, Trump said in March. And there you have it. The Space Force, though, sounds a lot like the Space Corps legislation the Trump administration opposed last year. Uh, I do think it's cool he's creating a Space Force. I don't really know how effective this is, how important this is going to be in the meantime. Uh, I don't really know if this is something that he's all that serious about, but it looks like it's going to get done. It will be the first time in 71 years that a service branch would be added to the military. Who wants to guess? What's the youngest? What is the youngest branch of? This is pretty easy, actually, when you think about it. You're all like, fuck, please. It's a weak sauce question. I know it's a weak sauce question, but I like to. Some of you out there got it right away, and, you know, that's good. Uh, the Air Force is the youngest, because obviously before we had planes, you couldn't have that much of an Air Force added shortly after the uh, Second World War. Uh, but, you know, look, Trump is, he's a guy who thinks outside the box. You know, he's somebody who's 
pushing the envelope in any number of ways. And I think the creation of a Space Force would be very, very interesting. I don't even know. I don't know what it would look like. I don't know what it would mean. By the time it actually gets going, Trump may not even really be in office anymore. And, of course, he's going to win. So we're, we're talking six more years. We got six more years minimum Trump coming our way. I guess I shouldn't say minimum because people say, oh, my gosh, he's saying Trump should run for a third term. Well, no, not yet. Not until we get that constitutional amendment that we all need. But I think that uh, we're going to have Trump. I think he's going to cruise to reelection. I really do. Oh, speaking of cruise, there's a total random side note. Did any of you see the uh, it was awesome cruise? Who's a funnier guy than people realize? Ted Cruz now, Senator Ted Cruz. He played a one-on-one basketball game against Jimmy Kimmel, who is mean and who has been calling Cruz blobface and challenge him. And guess guess who won in basketball? Senator Ted Cruz. You know the forces of of justice and constitutionalism prevailed over the meanness of Jimmy Kimmel. You know, and I think that that's a good thing for all. But it's great, man. You know, someone calls you blobface, uh, you you gotta you gotta throw it out, and that's what happened here. Ted Cruz, eleven to nine, beat Jimmy Kimmel one on one. High five to Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, I gotta say, he's, you know, when when Ted is being funny and relaxed, you start to think maybe this guy actually. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Maybe after Trump has had his two terms, it's possible. Hour two immigration coming up. The FBI calls home title theft one of the fastest growing crimes. Brace yourself, because having your credit card stolen is nothing compared to the hell you're in for once an identity thief takes control of your home's title. Folks, you know it. Everything is online these days, and that means that there is a vulnerability here for your home's title that cyber thieves can exploit. And they really want to go after Americans, because we have a lot of equity in our homes And once they get access to your home's title, they replace it with an alias and they can borrow every penny possible against your home's equity. Stick you with the payments. You don't want that, my friends, for just pennies a day. Home Title Lock protects my most valuable asset, my family home. Register now for a free analysis and discover if your home's title has been compromised. That's a $60 value free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. TitleLock.com for a free analysis, $60 value, HomeTitleLock.com. But we do have a policy of prosecuting adults who flout our laws to come here illegally instead of waiting their turn or claiming asylum at any of their ports of entry. They can go to our ports of entry if they want to claim asylum, and they won't be arrested. We cannot and will not encourage people to bring their children or other children uh, to the country unlawfully by giving them immunity in the process. Why wouldn't you bring children with you if you know you would be released and not prosecuted? Immigration is the fault and all of the problems that we're having because we cannot get them to sign legislation. We cannot get them even to the negotiating Table. And I say it's very strongly the Democrats' fault. They're obstruction. They're really obstructionist. And they are obstructing. The United States will not be a migrant camp. And it will not be a refugee holding facility. Won't be. You look at what's happening in Europe. You look at what's happening in other places. We can't allow that to happen to the United States. 
We will not apologize for the job we do or for the job law enforcement does for, do for doing the job that the American people expect us to do. Unfortunately, for political gain, as we have seen, some politicians are trying to pit state and local law enforcement officials against federal officials. This blue-on-blue -blue approach is a disservice to the public and every law enforcement official around the country, and it must stop. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. You've got so much focus right now on immigration at the southern border. And man, the demagoguery is going into overdrive on all this. Uh, you are just hearing about, uh, you know, babes being ripped from their mother's, uh, you know, arms and people talking about how this is like the not, I mean, like the uh, in, internment camps of World War II. And in fact, even my uh, former boss, Michael Hayden of the CIA, tweeted out a photo of Buchenwald Prison, okay, a concentration camp from the Second World War uh, that suggested that, you know, this is where, I forget what the specifics of the tweet was, but other governments have separated moms from their babies too, and, he, and a, with a photo of Buchenwald. I mean, just a complete outrage. Mike Hayden's got Trump derangement syndrome, and he has come down with it full-fledged, because that is just crazy what he did completely and utterly unacceptable and yet here we are folks people out there seem to want to make the case one way or another they seem to want to do everything in their power to suggest that the trump administration is engaged in this horrific evil that i would remind you was going on meaning sometimes children were getting separated from their parents at the border when they were crossing illegally into the country during the obama administration and also, this happens every day across the country, every time a, an American is arrested. And there's no if there's no relative or no next of kin to take care of a child, guess what happens? The child goes into state custody. So, you know, the, the way this is, a debate is being framed and the way that people are talking about it, it is so completely dishonest. Uh, and... You know, the, the Trump administration, I have to say, their messaging on this has not been strong enough because they have not been on the same sheet of music, which is troubling. And, you know, you've, you've got, for example, th this is how the left plays the game. Here's a perfect example of what they're doing. One, they're distracting from the IG report, and this is a great way to do it. Find a very emotionalized issue. They're just going to see an end tonight. It's going to be all border, all immigration all the time. The more weeping, the more crying, the better. Never mind the fact that you could also put the parents of murdered uh, children, murdered by MS-13 on TV and say, you know, maybe we didn't need some of those asylum seekers in this country that joined MS-13 and raped and murdered people, right? I mean, there are a lot of ways you can emotionalize this issue. But, I mean, CNN tonight is going to be wall-to-wall, wall-to-wall, tears, crying, Trump is evil, Trump is a monster, look at all the terrible things that he's doing. Uh, and here's an example of the way that they frame the issue. And while it's dishonest, I have to say it's very effective. Play clip three. And I would like to let her speak. We will negotiate with anyone to save these children, to stop this horrific practice. Leah. My message to these children in these detention centers is to stay strong because I am out here fighting for them to have the right to be with their family, to be happy. I live in the fear of my parents being deported, and I don't want that. Crying children. 
pushing for policy. You you don't want to seem mean. You don't want to seem cruel. So what are you going to do? Argue with a 12-year-old? Debate the finer points of immigration policy and intake procedures at various points of entry? No, of course not. So what are you left with? Well, you sit here and there's a an emotional blackmail that goes on. You know, there you, you had Representative Sheila Jackson, and she's presenting a 12-year-old as, well, this is how immigration policy, uh, this is how, you know, we should be addressing this now. It's just whatever feels good, whatever makes people feel good about themselves, that's what should be done. We don't have to be a country of laws anymore. We're going to be a country of whatever feels like, whatever we feel like at any point in time. Let's see how that goes. There's so many layers of lies here that it's tough to peel them all apart. The way the left is doing this now, they're just saying that Trump is mean, Trump is a monster, he doesn't care about kids, he doesn't like immigrants, and that's the story they're going with. And I'm seeing Republicans now who are saying, well, you know, maybe we do need to, what, DACA amnesty? Are, are they, are the Republicans nuts? Have they completely lost it? We don't have a wall, we don't have immigration reform, we don't have anything. And all they want to offer up, because right now there's a news cycle with a lot of, literally a lot of crying children that they're being shown. And so that means we need to give amnesty to a million or so DACA recipients, a few million of their, and by the way, it's going to be three million. It's not going to be, whatever the number is, it's bigger than what they say it is. Oh, yeah, we're, we're going to prevent their families from joining them once DACA is is officially amnestied by Congress, if that happens. I don't I don't think the bills are going to go through, by the way. I mean, you got the Goodlatte bill and the Costello bill. Goodlatte's a little more conservative. Costello's a little more watered down. But I don't see how either of them, I don't see how either of them are sufficient here. Uh, you know, they're, they're, the, first, look, the Goodlatte bill is not terrible, except it does have permanent legal status for DACA, and that that's amnesty. That is an amnesty. And what are they getting in, in well, if, if they get the funding for the wall, then I can, maybe I can live with it because we've got to get some, when I mean tangible, I mean it. You know, we've got to get some real things in return here. Uh, but man, they are just, the amount of, of demagoguery and dishonesty around this issue uh, is truly astonishing right now. And Republicans are running scared, running for cover. Uh, it's like they don't, really know what to do with themselves on this. Trump was elected. I mean, he remembers this. Trump was elected because he pushed on this issue. He made the case on immigration that other Republicans were not willing to do. And and uh, it's just very troubling to see this. It really is. Um, you know, Sessions, I interviewed him last week, and What's going on here is the exploitation of, of loopholes. Okay, here, uh, play, play clip five. This get-out-of-jail-free card for families and group who pose at families has spread. The word of this has spread. The smugglers and traffickers know these loopholders, loopholes better than our members of Congress. I'm sad to say that from October 2017 to this February, we have seen a staggering 315% increase in illegal aliens fraudulently using children to pose as family units to gain entry into this country. This must stop. That's right. They're lying about the fact that these are their kids in some cases. I don't know all, but I'm saying in some cases there's child trafficking going on. 
This has now become a way to take advantage of the decency and kindness of the American people. Show up with any child at the border. The way they used to do this was you showed up at the border and they would put an ankle monitor on you. They'd let you in and you're supposed to show up for an immigration hearing if you claimed asylum. They just wouldn't show up. They get to stay. Folks, that's basically an open border. If you can show up and say, I want to claim asylum, and they go, okay, we'll put this ankle monitor on and show up for a court date in two weeks, and you don't show up, and there's basically a 0% chance that they're ever going to track you down and make you show up, that's an open border, folks. That's what that is. Tens of thousands of children expected this summer alone. There's also a lot of unaccompanied minors. People are sending kids, teenagers, to try to cross the border. Because they know that the way that they'll be handled and the policies and all the stuff that's going on right now is that they can stay. So the, the Democrats are so dishonest on what's really happening there. Look, do I want any kids taken from their parents when they're crying? No, of course not. Do I think that there's a way to, especially with mothers and young children, keep them together in a processing facility while they? Yes, I think that that's manageable. I think that should be done. But this can't just be, well, yeah, let's go back to the old version. The Obama administration encouraged lawlessness, and we are here right now dealing with this because of the lawless of the Obama administration. That's why we are having to uh, having to handle this. That's why we are in the midst of this crisis. So uh, we're, we're going to talk more about immigration, and you know it's very important. Also, with the politics of this, Republicans do not fall for it. Do not just sell out. Our sponsor this half hour is Nine Line Apparel. Look, Nine Line is a veteran-owned and operated patriotic lifestyle brand that bridges the gap between civilians and service members. And they encourage a conversation between those who serve and those who support them. They also make incredibly comfortable and fantastic gear you should really check out. The founder and CEO is in the special operations community. They've got designs that are all about support for the Second Amendment, for patriotism, for America. I love their their T-shirts, also their hoodies, a big proponent of all of them. Um, When you see the stuff that they have up on the site, I'm telling you, you're going to want to get some for yourself. We've got a great deal for you, too. Go to NineLineApparel.com. Use coupon code BUCK20 for 20% off your next order. That's a 20% savings off your your order. NineLineApparel.com. Coupon code BUCK20. Please type it in to check out. You'll see it'll drop right off the price, 20% off, and it lets them know that you're part of Team Buck. Let's be honest. There are some who would like us to look the other way when dealing with families at the border and not enforce the law passed by Congress, including, unfortunately, some members of Congress. This administration has a simple message. If you cross the border illegally, we will prosecute you. If you make a false immigration claim, we will prosecute you. If you smuggle illegal aliens across an extraordinarily dangerous journey, we will prosecute you. There has been much outcry, consternation, and frankly misinformation for many in the press, in Congress, and advocacy groups over the last few weeks that we at DHS are intentionally doing things that are unhumanitarian, that are cruel, immoral, and disgraceful. We aren't doing none of those things. We are enforcing the laws passed by Congress, and we are doing all that we can in the executive branch to protect our communities. It is now time that Congress asks to fix our broken immigration system. There you had uh, DHS Secretary 
Kirsten Nielsen. And that was uh, earlier today. She, she actually just gave a press conference while we were on air and gave uh, much more context to the current discussion about what's going on at the border. For example, did you get a sense from the reports that most, most of the minors, the uh, under-18 uh, folks at the border, and I know it's all the way down to little babies. And look, we the thing about Americans is we're good people. We're a, a warm, caring, decent, moral people. So we want to, look, we want to make sure every baby, every kid is safe. But we also have a country, and we have sovereignty, and we have laws. Did did you get the sense from the various media outlets today that most of the unaccompanied children in custody were, in fact, just that, unaccompanied? Meaning they showed up at the border without any adult. Probably not, right? So when you see these photos of, oh, look at these kids that are being held here, someone... An adult in their lives thought, you know what, we're just going to send little so-and-so on his own or her own to try and get through the... We want to talk about a traumatizing experience, try to get through the border by himself. And then you add on to it the possibility of, well, one, being killed, right? People have died crossing the border for a number of reasons. Exposure you know, to the elements, the desert at night, or heat and you know, dehydration during the day. Uh, being top of the list, but also coyotes of the human smuggling variety, uh, sex traffickers, and and just predators. They are all in the mix as well here. You've had a lot of people at the border lying about a child being their child. So what, what are you supposed to do with that now? You see, this is one of the consequences of the Obama administration's lawlessness on this issue. They made it so that if you showed up at the border with a child, and keep in mind, there's another very important distinct thing that gets lost here when I say show up at the border. If you go to a port of entry, a designated place to enter into the United States and say, I want to claim asylum, you do not get criminally processed. You go through, you go through an asylum process, and that's a whole other discussion. But what we have happening are people try to cross into the country illegally, just go right past the border. Do not, you know, do not pass go, do not collect $200, right past the border. And they have a child with them as a backup plan, I suppose. And when they get caught by Border Patrol, then they say, oh, no, I'm I'm actually an asylum seeker and this is my child. Now you have to let me into the country. Because that's what the Obama administration was doing. They also created a situation where people, those who had crossed into the country and claimed asylum, I believe it's called defensive asylum, when you're already in process, you're like, no, 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 you can't, you can't uh, deport me. I'm, I want asylum. You know, instead of show, instead of proactively from go showing up and saying, I would like to declare asylum. This is, you get caught and then you say, oh, I would like to declare asylum now very obvious what this is all about right this is a way to try to milk the system to use loopholes in the system but if you are so concerned about being separated from your child if you don't claim asylum once you have been caught by border patrol you can have expedited uh, removal right away so you can be removed very quickly uh, but you'll be criminally processed right now 
It's when you claim asylum that the process gets extended out and becomes much longer. But I just think it's there's a tremendous amount of dishonesty out there right now about what's really going on. You know, they're saying all these children are, are it, and it's, of course, Trump's fault. It's all Trump's fault. That's the main takeaway they want from this. And I'm reminded, folks, of one of my one of my maxims here on the Buck Saxton show from, from the very beginning. Remember what I have told you and those of you who have been with me from the earliest days know what I'm going to say here. Be very skeptical when the government tells you, oh, it's for the children. We're just concerned with the children. We just want to protect the children. Be skeptical because it's a very emotionally powerful appeal. It's very hard to stand against that appeal. And also, it's a way of making us all forget. We all want to protect children. We're all hoping for outcomes where all children are safe, all children are cared for, all children are are fine and, and happy. Uh, we don't need the government to tell us that there's some impetus among, you know, the American people to protect children. We already know that, right? So when they start saying, oh, no, we, 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 and so in this case, it's not really so much the government as it is the media and the Democrat Party telling you, oh, no, it's for the children. Well, it's for a lot more than that. Democrats have been playing this game for a long time where they get as close to open borders as possible, and they dare anyone to call them out on it, and then they always play the humanitarian card. They always will say, who wants to send home this valedictorian to their home country, right? Who wants to tear apart this family? Who? Well, at some point, they have to accept that unless you're like a cartel hitman, it sounds like you get to stay in the country. And if all you have to do to stay in the country is have a kid with you, guess what? Pretty much anybody can stay in the country. That's pretty darn close to open borders, isn't it? Trump administration's got to hit back with the truth on this one. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. There's a lot of misinformation about what DHS is and is not doing as it relates to families at the border. And I want to correct the record. Here are the facts. First, this administration did not create a policy of separating families at the border. We have a statutory responsibility that we take seriously to protect alien children from human smuggling, trafficking, and other criminal actions while enforcing our immigration laws. We have a long existing policy multiple administrations have followed that outline when we may take action to protect children. We will separate those who claim to be a parent and child if we cannot determine a familiar or custodial relationship exists. This is something that was enacted after the Attorney General announced the zero tolerance policy. This never happened before he announced it. That's actually not true. So the last administration, the Obama administration, the Bush administration, all separated families at the... They absolutely did. Well, they did. Their rate was uh, less than ours, but they absolutely did do this. This is not new. It's not new, but they want you to believe it's new because then they can blame it on Trump, which is the primary goal here. Blame it on Trump. You'll notice that Democrats never advocate for immigration that helps Americans. They advocate for illegal aliens. They advocate for foreigners, the right to come here, the right to stay here. But 
never once do I can I remember in, in recent memory a Democrat who says, you know what, I don't think this is going to be great for the uh, American people. In fact, I think this will be bad for the American people, so let's not do it. You know, you've got Hillary Clinton running around making comments about how we can't talk about what's going on with Germany and immigration. She says, oh, you know, violent crime in Germany is down, has been on a downward trend since 1992. Yeah, we know that. That doesn't mean anything. There's been a spike in murders and rapes in Germany since the million-person migrant surge into that country, which just happened in 2016. So in the last 18 months to two years or so, you have had a spike in violent crimes and heinous violent crimes. In particular, there's a case recently of a young girl who was raped and murdered by an Iraqi immigrant to Germany who made it all the way back to Iraq, by the way, after he killed and murdered this, uh, killed and raped this girl. And the German people are like, what the, what is this? So we bring people in because their country's a mess and destroyed. We bring people in here. Germany's a wonderful place, a very civilized, great country. And even if it's only 1% of the population that's doing this stuff, is that what we've signed on for now? Now, now we have, you know, dozens or hundreds more rapes, dozens or hundreds more assaults and murders, whatever the numbers may be, they're, they're spiking. Hillary is so dishonest about this. I don't know why she's out there talking about anything still, but. I think it's helpful for Republicans, so in a sense, I kind of like it. But, you know, I I, I got to tell you, right before uh, I came, right, right before this this uh, segment, we want to do a, a quick uh, commercial break there for a moment. And I was talking about how whenever it's about the children, just beware. And I'm not saying that that doesn't mean there's a real issue at hand. You know, sometimes the government does want to protect the children, but they want to they, they want to extract a price that is unconstitutional, right, or is well beyond what is necessary under the circumstances. Uh, you know, I mean, if, if the government wanted to tell you, well, you know, because we want to protect kids from rated R content on TVs, so we're just going to ban all rated R content on TVs, you'd say, well, I mean, yeah, you want to protect the children, but that's, there's there's an infringement there. there that's a bit extreme, isn't it? You know, can't, isn't it up to the parent to decide what the, what the child will watch? Uh, so you ha- you have to watch it because government likes to make the issue an emotional issue. And from there, they can manipulate it and manipulate public perception to get what they want. I was talking about that. And sure enough, now I see this and I had seen some mentions of it before, but I see this audio from ProPublica. Now, it's it's I will warn you, it's disturbing. It's it's kids crying and sobbing, which, you know, this isn't a. One side is okay with kids being scared and, and frightened and alone, and the other side is not okay with it, right? No one wants kids to be scared, frightened, and alone. By the way, that also means that no one should be sending scared, frightened children to the U.S.-Mexico border, which is inherently very dangerous and traumatizing because they refuse, as adults, to go through the legal immigration process for themselves or for their children. There's a lot of really bad behavior on display here, folks. No one seems to call it that. But, you know, there are people that are trying to go through the legal immigration process that are trying to do this the right way. And they're not using their children or someone else's children even as a ploy to skip to the front of the line. That's what's going on at the border. Now, that said, the moment that you the moment that you hear audio of children crying at the border and 
this uh, allegedly involves a border patrol agent. This is pro- uh, posted. Uh, Brandon, do we have do we have this clip? This would be a uh, twenty. Um, this is allegedly a border patrol agent who's saying in Spanish. So I don't speak Spanish, but I see the translation here. Well, we have an orchestra. What's missing is a conductor when there's a whole bunch of children who are crying. I'm going to play this for you just so you understand that this is where a very complicated policy debate goes. This is where the media is going to take this discussion. And this is what the Democrats want to boil this down to, because if it's just a question of who is, you know, who cares about immigrants the most, who's the kindest, who cares the most about kids, they think they win that issue and they get Republicans to cave on immigration as an issue and on border security. Anyway, so here's this tape from ProPublica. It's disturbing. It's kids crying, but you're going to hear it everywhere, so you can hear it here. Play it. So I, I think I heard one of the kids say uh, Guatemala there. Uh, did that sound right, Brandon? That's, I thought I picked, I mean, obviously I know what that word is. Uh, but this is now, this is the policy debate in its essence, as put out there by Democrats. Crying kids. Trump is making kids cry. It's Trump's fault. Babies are crying. It's Trump's fault. That's the way that this is framed. It's not the Obama administration in order to uh, bolster votes from within the Latino community that already leans heavily Democratic and to pander to the illegal alien constituencies that have now become massive political influencers in states like New York and California, the Democrat strongholds, decided, the Obama administration decided that, you know, you can show up at the border, and if you're a kid, you're going to stay. And if you show up with a kid, you're going to stay. Well, guess what? Who wants to go through all that messy paperwork and all the problems of the real immigration system where you're going to show up at the border, and not only can you show up and claim asylum if you get caught, but maybe you just show up with a kid and, you manage to get through without doing anything, right? So it's really an insurance policy for some people. you got to have the kid with you, so that way if you get caught, then you say, oh, I want to claim asylum. And then when the kid gets separated from you, you say, oh, this is so terrible, I've been separated from my child. Meanwhile, an affirmative decision has been made here, folks. Whether they're parents or just people posing as parents or human smugglers or any and all of the above, someone decided to bring kids into this. And they are trying to, as I said, morally blackmail uh, all the rest of us into just saying, you know what, we're, we're not allowed to have secure borders. We're not allowed to make determinations about who comes in this country and who doesn't. And this is where this is where it's all heading. I, I, am, I am worried that Republicans are losing their nerve right now on this. Yeah, th- this should be pretty straightforward. As a matter of, and I think Ted Cruz has a pretty good bill out. I haven't had a chance to read it just yet, but I saw some of the Broad strokes of it. Okay, if a parent is if a parent shows up with a kid and they can actually, they ascertain, however they can, that this is really a parent, particularly if it's a mother and, you know, mother and child, mother and baby. All right, find a way to keep them together in the facility while you figure out all the rest of it. Let's make let's just make that concession. Let's do that. Let's take that off the table as a problem. And also, yeah, I don't I don't want you know a, a mom and her eight month old or or however old the child is in the situation being separated from each other for days and days uh, but i also appreciate the jeff sessions position on this by the way sessions is a warrior for the law 
and is doing a, a very tough job of making the case and standing firm on immigration, which is central to Trump's policy. And I think I think Sessions does not get nearly enough credit for this. But uh, play nine, uh, play um, uh, eight, please. This cannot continue. These children are not entering at ports of entry, but in dangerous places, in deserts and crossing our fences and escaping, attempting to escape law enforcement officers. We do not want to separate children from their parents. We do not want adults to bring children into this country unlawfully either, placing those children at risk. That's right. There is a responsibility here for the adults who are bringing children into this. They need to stop. And there have to be consequences. There has to be a change here to the incentive that exists for bringing children into these dangerous situations, into these traumatizing situations. And remember, these are people who are just seeking a better economic situation, primarily. That's another part of this that no one's really talking about. U.S. has a better economy than Guatemala. People want to be here. I understand that. By the way, it doesn't make anyone a bad person. I would want a better economic situation than Guatemala, too. But but I would try to find a way to be in a country where I could legally be there. Because the rule of law matters. Or it doesn't. I don't know. Democrats seem to be uncertain on this one. Rule of law doesn't matter, it seems to me, with the IG report and the realities of what was done there. And rule of law certainly doesn't matter when it comes to immigration. We all know at the end of the day, this is about votes. It's about power. It's not because Democrats. Hillary Clinton does not like immigrants more than, you know, pick some Republican that you see on TV. She doesn't. Okay, that's a lie. Nancy Pelosi does not have some deep-seated love of impoverished immigrants from Central America. It's just not true. Okay, she she poses that way because it's politically convenient for her. But trust me, Pelosi has no her day-to-day life for the last 40 years. She has no interaction with these communities whatsoever. Her children don't go to the schools where the asylum seekers and their children go to schools. They don't live in the same neighborhoods, right? It's so much hypocrisy with all of this. They want Asylum seekers and their children who have been traumatized and people who have left violent and corruption plagued societies in Central America, they want them in your neighborhood. And if the school district that you are paying taxes for all of a sudden is overflowing with kids who need English as a second language training, need a lot of supplemental uh, assistance from the government, uh, in some cases bring along connections to or develop connections to MS-13. And this is happening, folks. If you think about any of that, if that's a problem for you, Democrats want you to know you're a bad person. You don't care about children and babies. You may say, wait, no, I care about my children and babies and the ones that are already in my neighborhood from all different backgrounds, including the wonderful legal immigrants that you've been calling neighbors probably for, you know, your entire adult life, right? You're concerned with their kids and their quality of life and their schools and what this is. But you're not allowed to think about that because Democrats would rather browbeat you into submission on this one. Uh, all right, we gotta uh, we gotta move on to some other stuff here, team. I've got a lot more for you, uh, so stay right there. We'll be back. This story just gets me angry, um, but it's not surprising at all. You see this happening. Time and time again, the just reckless, irresponsible, snide, nasty mainstream media that decides that a an everyday, you know, an everyday citizen is going to become the 
the target of their ire for some reason, right? Whether it's making fun of a cancer patient's, quote, Nazi haircut like Samantha B did to a kid at CPAC. Uh, you, you see this happening time and again. Here's what happened in this case. Um, someone seemed to think that a that a veteran in the media they wrote about a veteran who had uh, a tattoo that they said looked like the Iron Cross, the Nazi cross. That's what they were saying about this. Well, here's what really, and they they ran with this and they they shared it, and um, you know, this was all. They ran around with this. Ron Perlman, who's an actor, uh, retweeted this, you know, just to hundreds of thousands of his followers. I mean, just a total smear. Here's what actually happened. This is a statement from Immigration and Customs Enforcement on the incident in question. I'll give you the facts of it right now. Quote, Justin Gertner is a combat-wounded U.S. Marine who continues to serve his country as an Immigration and Customs Enforcement computer forensic analyst, helping to solve criminal cases and rescue children who have been sexually abused. During one of three combat deployments, including two in Helmand Province, uh, Afghanistan, where he served as a fire team leader and a lead sweeper for IEDs, he was wounded by IEDs, resulting in the loss of both legs and other permanent injuries. He is a Paralympic athlete who has volunteered his time to motivate other wounded warriors and Boston bombing victims. Over the weekend, social media perpetuated a tweet by New Yorker reporter Talia Levin, erroneously implying that a tattoo on one of Justin Gardner's arms was an iron cross and essentially labeled him a Nazi. Uh, Levin deleted her post after military veterans responded that the tattoo looked more like a Maltese cross, a symbol associated with firefighters. But per Gardner, the tattoo on his left elbow is actually tightened to the symbol for for his platoon while he fought in Afghanistan. The writing on his right arm is the Spartan Creed, which is about protecting family and children. Anyone attempting to advance their personal political opinions by baselessly slandering an American hero should be issuing public apologies to Mr. Gardner and retractions. That includes uh, Levin Levin and the New Yorker. Isn't that just... I mean... Talk about reckless, right? Talk about not checking with your facts at all. This could ruin someone's life. This could really have, and not just anyone, by the way. Uh, You know, this is, (laughs) this is somebody who lost his legs fighting for his country in Afghanistan and just some, some whiny, self-indulgent, Ugh, mainstream, you know, the New Yorker, just a just a snotty publication, I'll be honest with you. Saw this guy, he, he appears in an ice hero photo, giving veterans a chance. And she goes, oh, it looks like a Nazi cross on his arm. What an out-and-out disgrace that that tweet was. And um, I'm glad that Immigration and Customs Enforcement was able to correct the record on this one. Uh, but it's just, just goes to show you folks. They're, you know... No, no sense of maybe, maybe I'll, I'll give the, the benefit of the doubt on this one, or maybe I'll, I'll check my facts. No, no. Slander the amputee war hero veteran serving his country now for immigration and customs enforcement, because that's what the New Yorker likes to do. 
In 2017, the Better Business Bureau heard more than 5,000 complaints about alarm companies. That puts home security in the top 10% of most complained about industries. But here's how you fix home security. You do what my friends over at Simply Safe did. Simply Safe got rid of contracts and hidden fees. They work hard to earn their customers' business instead of relying on tricks and fine print. Simply Safe is a company that treats you right. How rare is that today? A company that relies on good service and a great product to earn your business. I've known Simply Safe for years. They're good people. That's why they've got an A plus rating from the Better Business Bureau for 10 years running, and there are over 40,000 five star reviews online. Simply Safe is what home security should be. You're getting the best protection, period. Learn more about Simply Safe today at simplysafe.com slash buck. That's simplysafe.com slash buck to protect your home and family with an A plus security system. SimplySafe.com slash Buck. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Wow. Hour three is already here. Wow. All right. We have it. You know, it was uh, Father's Day over the weekend. Hope you all got a chance to chat with, uh, you know, whoever, whether it's you are the father being celebrated or you have a father that you wanted to just reach out to, see, tell him thanks. Parents are everything. That's one of these things that we don't spend enough time as a society really thinking about this. But so many of the problems we discuss as public policy issues, really just issues of parenting. You talk about the school system. Oh, what can we do to make the school system better? Well, here here's part of it. Have parents who care about what the kids are doing, that they're learning, that they encourage the growth of the mind at home. They encourage reading. They encourage good behavior. That they are supportive. Um, comes from, So much of it comes from parents. You know, I've, I've always been told, and this is from different friends of mine who, uh, I had a number of friends who went into it, Teach for America right out of school. And they were teaching in you know, underserved public school or underserved school districts across the country. They said that, you know, it's a shorthand and no one really wants to really use it as, as a way to sort those who are going to, those who are going to do well from those who won't. But the truth is that if you want to know how likely a kid is to succeed in a lot of these places, do the parents show up on Parents' Day? Does a parent show up on Parents' Day? Does an adult? A guardian of any kind show up on parent-teacher day to see how the kid is doing. The parents who do, irrespective of their educational background, their socioeconomic status, tend to have, those kids tend to have a better shot graduating, staying out of trouble, maybe even going on to college. The parenting is everything. The single biggest advantage you can give your, single biggest advantage you can give your child is to be a good parent. Right, beyond above and beyond you know, you know, money, violin lessons, you know, Mandarin language tutoring when they're five, you know, above just be a good parent. Just be there, be supportive, right? Now, I'm speaking about this as an outside observer because I've never actually been a parent, but I have great parents, including a great dad. Uh, and I've just seen it play out time and again. I've seen how this has worked with kids of tremendous privilege but the parents 
don't care, aren't involved, always other people doing all the doing all the heavy lifting as you know, the guardians. And those kids have problems later on. And you know, I went to a scholarship high school where I was ex- where I was around all my classmates were you know the the average income in my class for a household and this is in New York City where you have to understand you have your expenses are considered to be generally twice the national average right so what you know making making uh $80,000 in New York City as a house as household income is like making $40,000 in you know Austin Texas or Nashville or Oklahoma City or wherever, right? Meaning you have to make a lot more money. And, and you know, the average income, I think, was something like $60,000 a year in, in my class. So middle class. It was middle class. That's, in New York City, that's that's well within the middle class, you know, range. And uh, a lot of kids actually were financially struggling. But one thing, we all, we all came from households. And it was a diverse class, people from all over the place, different kinds of backgrounds. Although we were all Catholic, I will say. We weren't religiously diverse. Uh, was we had parents who cared and expected us to do the work and expected us to be responsible and to take the opportunity, the tremendous opportunity we had been given. And that's the kind of Father's Day discussion that I I wish was more a part of the the media. You know, I used to also think that Father's Day, Mother's Day, you know, is this kind of Hallmark card stuff. No, actually, parents are critical. You know, we have a, a fatherhood crisis in this country where you have... In a lot of communities, there just aren't aren't enough dads around. In fact, now they, depending on where you uh, where you're looking and and what demographic you're talking about, you have a majority of kids being born in in a lot of places without a dad. That's really damaging, and the long term prospects for success growing up without a dad or a father figure, um, the, you know, the numbers don't lie on this, and. You know, I, I guess it feels old-fashioned. People don't really want to have a conversation about, you know, how much, how important it is to have a dad, you know, a a male figure. And I'm talking now, well, particularly for young men, is what I'm thinking of. But it's true for you know young young women as well. To have that that authority figure in your life, to have that protector in your life, that you know, as a, as a young guy, you know, you know, your dad is your hero, and all your dad has to do to be your hero is to be your dad and be there. And he's your hero. And that I just don't feel like that gets reflected enough. I don't think there's enough attention paid to that. Instead, oh boy, you get stuff like this piece that went up on NBC. This Father's Day, men are experiencing a crisis of masculinity. The solution, more feminism. No, that is not the solution. That is not, First of all, it's not what's happening. We're, we're experiencing this Father's Day a, a crisis, and the crisis is a lack of dads. We need more dads, more people to step up, raise their children, be a father. That's the crisis we have. The crisis is not we need more uh, beta males to walk around and, and talk about how they really love the last you know op-ed they read from Gloria Steinem or something. No, no, that is not what we need. That is not going to fix anybody's problem. Lower, lower down on this piece, uh, it's written by a guy named Noah. He writes, men experience violence and oppression because gender norms are not changing. In other words, feminism isn't killing men. Toxic masculinity is. Uh, no. No. Whew. no, no, no. That is not. 
That is not what the problem is. Um, he writes also, this weekend is Father's Day, a holiday typically celebrated with displays of testosterone and gendered cliches. It is also as good a time as, as any to acknowledge that there is indeed a crisis of masculinity. I, I don't know what father, you know, this, I don't know what father, uh, Father's Day this guy thinks he's been around. There's a lot of photos in here of, of guys with guns. You know, a lot of people bond with their children through learning about firearms, through learning about hunting and becoming a law-abiding gun owner, Second Amendment supporting American. I mean, that's that's the way they do it. And and they're mocked for it, though, now. I mean, you're being mocked for this if you just want to have some time with your with your kids or you go out, maybe you go out and do some shooting together. You know, it's a bonding activity. They think that's tox- toxic masculinity. This is a, a, a crazy concept that they run around with, and they're they're doing it here again. But there's that another one. So that's one version. The, the, these are all the bad takes I saw on Father's Day that I want to share with you real quick. One of them is we're having a toxic masculinity crisis. I, I don't even. This is just just garbage. It's just nonsense talk, but a lot of nonsense talk these days. This one came from Britain. Oh, hello, Father's Day. Oh, hello, Father's Day. What have you got? What have you got on your mind, Father's Day? Hello. Is it time to ban Father's Day? With a rise in single-parent, blended, and same-sex families, is it time to get more inclusive and appreciate parents all year round? So, essentially, abolish Father's Day because it makes people who don't have a father feel left out. How about we revere fathers even more on father's day because we need more dads how about that yeah ban father's day because it makes people feel excluded you know this is true of anything birthdays make people feel excluded was it your birthday yesterday is it your birthday tomorrow it's someone's birthday it's not yours well you must feel really left out right my birthday's not till december i never really get to have like much of a birthday celebration although i'm i'm cool with that i'm not a big birthday guy to be honest with you i don't really First of all, I can never, like, unless we get a gluten-free cake, I can never even eat the cake. So you start with that. How excited can you get about celebrating your birthday when you're, you know, like, happy birthday. Oh, you can't eat the cake. It's like, well, yeah, that's not as fun for me. I will eat the ice cream, however. Ice cream is always, almost always gluten-free, which, thank heavens for that. But yeah, I mean, any, any celebration of any group is going to feel, is, is going to be exclusionary by definition. And I don't think that fathers are, a narrow category and we should feel weird about celebrating father's day. So that's, so you got the toxic masculinity on father's day narrative, which is garbage. You've got the banned father's day because people feel left out narrative, which is also a problem. Instead, we should as a society be focused on, Hey, more dads being a dad is really cool. I know a joke around about dad bod, which is only one of the benefits I'm looking forward to one day when I can just embrace dad bod. In fact, Molly told me this weekend, cause I was wearing a boxy, polo uh collared polo shirt and like big khaki shorts and boat shoes that i looked like a hot dad and i thought that was quite a i thought that was quite a compliment so to all you dads out there you know you've got your own style stay strong with it uh but we should be celebrating that we want that that fatherhood is not just cool but it's here here's one fatherhood and motherhood being good parents is really actually the foundation of civilization how about that that would seem to me to be worth hitting hitting that point again as a society. You know, at least a couple times a year. Hey, 
Thanks, moms and dads. You are the foundation of civilization. The work that you do day in and day out with your children, uh, rearing good people who will be good members of society, will be decent, will be caring, will be considerate, will be honorable and ethical. That is the foundation of civilization right there. Um, that I, I think that's a worthwhile message. And then I got to take a little moment here to give you the worst single message that I saw of, of all. Um, and it came, not really surprising when you think about the source, from Planned Parenthood on Father's Day. Planned Parenthood writes out, in our hearts and minds today, this is from one of their, this is from their official account, all of the fathers and parents who have been separated from their children at borders keep families together. Hashtag Father's Day, courtesy of Planned Parenthood. Uh, considering that Planned Parenthood is the single biggest advocate of a genocide of the unborn, a genocide of the unborn that also does not allow any legal rights or recourse whatsoever for fathers who do not want their children to be murdered. This is just beyond what I can take or, or, or accept. Um, and, you know, there are, very, there are very few organizations that I look at them and, and, I, and that, that are mainstream, right, that are well-known. I look at them and say, I not only don't understand why people are a part of and support this, I, I cannot accept uh, or get past that people are a part of or support of it, uh, supportive of it. And Planned Parenthood is in that category. Um, Planned Parenthood is, is really the anti-Father's Day because it's the anti-Parents Day because it is engaged in a mass extermination of the unborn. One of the great, and I, I do not say this to exaggerate or to get attention or overstate it, it will go down in our history in this country as one of the great stains on our moral character, this period of time, which I do believe will come to an end. But this uh, mass slaughter of the unborn and this assault on fatherhood, motherhood, parenting, life from Planned Parenthood. I wish I hadn't seen this on Father's Day, uh, but I did. And I just was reminded of what a, a grotesque disgrace Planned Parenthood is and also how it is a central player. Whenever, whenever it feels like we're being a little... A little hard on the left here, or I, I'm, I'm hammering the Democrat Party too hard. Just remember this. The one thing you must support now to be a Democrat, the really the, the one area where you have the greatest separation between left and right, the clearest separation is if you are to be a Democrat in good standing, you must support Planned Parenthood, which means you must be the part of systematic murder and extermination of babies. So many Democrats upset about what's going on at the border right now with children who are, I understand, in a difficult circumstance and it's a highly imperfect system. They're scared. They miss their parents. I'm sympathetic to all of that. But how they could be, how Planned Parenthood could be sympathetic to that problem of that, that children face and not the children would, would prefer to have life and exist, it, it, that's beyond my, my reckoning. But I, I, could, I would sit here and wage ideological war against Planned Parenthood all day if I thought people would listen, but I, I can only spend so much of our time on it. Um, I will be right back, team. Stay with me. When you're at work all day and your dogs are cooped up inside, guess what happens the moment that they decide to run out into the yard? They generally want to start digging. 
they've got to work off some of that energy, and that means they can get under your fence, right? And you may have tried some stuff to stop them, but it's not enough. I've got a way better idea for you. Dig Defense. It is genius, and it stops the problem that pet owners have to deal with of digging. It extends the protection of your fence underground. No amount of digging is going to let your pets out of the yard, okay? Predators, foxes, skunks, others, they'll try to get into your yard, too. Dig Defense protects your yard, makes it a total sanctuary for your furry friend. Check it out right now. Dig Defense, available online at Lowe's, Menards, Wayfair, and Stop. TheDig.com. It comes in a bunch of different models, folks, sizes, whatever you need that'll fit your needs. Dig Defense. Go to StopTheDig.com. That's StopTheDig.com. On the list of worst ways to go. And you know what I'm talking about. I, I, I got to put giant python constri- biting you, constricting you, and then swelling you whole high on that list. And I saw over the weekend this story got a lot of play because they found this 23-foot-long python that in Indonesia attacked and then ate and swallowed whole a 54-year-old woman. She was checking on her garden and she got attacked and swallowed and they opened this things up and and this thing up you do not want to watch the video but i i got i think i think snake is a is among the worst ways to go you know shark is scary but i feel like shark happens kind of fast you know if you get like a great white you know massive blood loss you're probably i know this this is a rough subject folks i probably shouldn't it's not exactly like global breaking news but if you saw this this video was trending over the weekend of this snake and giving me flashbacks to the uh movie anaconda with uh ice t and jennifer lopez it's not a good movie but it's one of those movies you'll watch i'm sorry did i damn it puck ice cube <laughs> sorry the other ice guy um uh, but yeah so i, I think snake is Brandon, do you agree? Of all the animals to be eaten by, is snake the worst? I think snake might be the worst. And a lion, you go quick. It's going to attack your neck, and you're going to be—you're not going to last. What long. about a lot of spiders? That—that that wow, you've really put some thought into this. I have. <laughs> I mean, spiders. Spiders are terrible, but they can't really—you know—that they have to like slowly dissolve you, and they eat you know, a lot. No one gets—that's crazy talk, Brandon. No one gets eaten by a spider. This is this isn't the Lord of the Ring, Brandon. Well, they're doing a, a remake of uh, Arachnophobia, so I had it on the mind. Oh. oh, okay. All right, fair enough. Now, you're just making me scared, so I was getting upset. Now, I, I think snake is the worst. I think any any mammal, you get taken out, at least you're like, this is going to be rel- you know, it's gonna be pretty quick, I think, for the most part. Uh, I think snake is a really, really bad way to go. And uh, I, I was told by a Jesuit when I was in high school that, they, uh, that, that he was assigned at one point to a uh, a Jesuit school, I think it was in the Philippines, was in Indonesia, and a one of their students didn't show up one day, and they found a massive python with the enormously bloated belly, and yep. And I remember we he told us that story. We were like, oh my God. You know, you tell a bunch of high school kids that. We freaked out. Uh, but that wasn't a full-grown uh, adult. That was a, just, that was like a, like a 10 or 11-year-old that the, this python in the Philippines that, 
father so-and-so told us a story about when we were all just, he was trying to get our attention one day. That got our attention, though, that's for sure. Uh, but, you know, so that this video, I like the video of the little kid jumping with the bear up against the glass. If you didn't see that one, that's way better. And there was another video of a bear going for a swim in a, in a pool. Bears are, I'm, I'm very partial to bears. I've got this on the mind. I also checked out uh, some some puppies over the weekend uh, with my little sister, which was a fun thing to do. Got to got to see some puppies, pug, French bulldog, mini Aussie, good times, good times. All right, I don't know why this all of a sudden turned into like a zoological show, but we, we will discuss uh, your thoughts, courtesy of roll call, and, and also a little bit of an entertainment review that I want to give you. Here's a hint. It's not Cobra Kai, although we will get to that this week on the Buck Sexton podcast. Stay with me. We're down to two teams. So for double points, what is the name of the purple Teletubby? Tinky Winky. You're both correct. He always carried a red purse. Ooh, I'm a rebel just for kicks. Max is very competitive, as am I. It's one of the reasons I fell in love with him. Oh, this is easy. It was my house next week. This will be a game night to remember. So you may have figured out that that was from Game Night, which is a movie that uh, Miss Molly and I this past weekend, we just want, we just wanted movie night. You know, I, I was up in New York. We wanted to have some movie night time. We had already seen Black Panther, which I have explained to you is terrible. And, and people tell me it's not terrible. And then I always sit down and discuss with them when I get the chance. Oh, no, let's talk about why Black Panther is terrible. And then eventually they're like, wow. You're right, it's terrible. Uh, but Game Night, I had my misgivings about it. It was Game Night or Red Sparrow. And Red Sparrow, J-Law, I don't know. It just didn't happen. So I know, it's a little disappointing. because I like J-Law. But we watched Game Night, and you heard some of the intro there. And Game Night has Kyle Chandler, who plays the coach from Friday Night Lights, which is a show I have a tremendous amount of nostalgia for. It's a really flawed show. It was a... The second season was a disaster in terms of the storyline. The third season was shortened. It only lasted, I think, five seasons total. Uh, it had problems, to be sure, not the least of which was that everybody in Friday Night Lights who's playing a high school kid is, like, in their late 20s, and they look like they're in their late 20s. So there's that. I think one guy, actually, the guy who plays Jason Street, was, like, 34 at the uh, at the time of the, of, of the shoot, of the, uh, you know, the, the shoot for the show. Anyway, so we, we got stuck with not a lot of great options. But we had Kyle Chandler, Jason Bateman, uh, the the actress from whatever, Wedding Crashers. I'm like, how bad can this be? The answer was atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. Unwatchably bad. Like, not funny, not clever. The plot, even within the confines, uh, or even within the the realm of a plot that you don't expect to make sense. I mean, the plot is just idiotic. It's so bad. And I just have to wonder, I don't get how it's possible that there's so much money spent on these movies. These actors get paid so much money. The budgets to put them out is, is enormous. And it's so hard to get a movie made. And yet such bad movies get made all the time. I mean, game night was a D I won't say it was an F, but it was a D. And I just feel, you know, we, we were fine. I mean, we, we were eating some ice cream. I know. I really need to watch that. D- ice cream and dad bod go together like, like peas and carrots. 
but it was some good ice cream, to be honest with you. A little bit of Earl Grey. There's an Earl Grey-flavored ice cream that gets me very excited. The upside of my viewing experiences over the weekend, and we're going to get a roll call here in a minute, so we'll get to hear from all of you, but the upside of my viewing experience was, sure enough, I did get to check out some episodes of Cobra Kai, which I, I have so many thoughts. So many. And this also goes into my, my theory that I know a lot of people share, that TV is in a golden age and movies are in, are in the crapper right now in general. Uh, Cobra Kai is great. Uh, that's all I'll say about it now, though, because I'm saving a, dis- a real in-depth discussion of Cobra Kai and 80s martial arts cinema for the Freedom Hunt with Buck Sexton podcast this week. So that's yet another. You've got Kami Bear and a Cobra Kai discussion as part of the Freedom Hunt podcast. So make sure you're subscribing to the Buck Sexton show on uh, on the Apple podcast store uh, and then also the Freedom Hunt that goes along with it. Next up is Roll Call. Stay right there. The show ain't over yet, folks. Here's where you take over. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. You know, I prefer the jazzy Roll Calls, you know? A little more of an old-school vibe. I just feel like that's more Freedom Hut. Speaking of Freedom Hut, the Freedom Hut podcast launches this week. It is happening, friends. It'll be out Wednesday. Uh, probably Wednesday in the afternoon. So uh, please do subscribe to it on iTunes. You can just go into, or or Apple Podcasts, I think that's what the cool kids call it now. So you go into your uh, Apple iTunes. I, I don't know how to say this now. Is it Apple or is it iTunes? You go in there, you type in the Freedom Hunt with Buck Sexton, and it's going to be amazing. I don't know what exactly it's going to be, other than it's going to be fantastic. You get a chance to hang out. Those of you who listen to the show live, just be prepared uh, for a a new vibe in that podcast. So there you have it. And if you want to be a part of Roll Call, you know how that goes. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. That is the way to do it. And uh, it's just send us a note, and then there, you'll be good to go. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton is all you need to do. All right, let's see what we got here. We have, first up, Adam. Adam writes, never wrestle with pigs. You both get dirty and the pig likes it. A quote from George Bernard Shaw. Uh, Yes, indeed, Adam. That is true. That is a true quote. I think I said something like that on the show, and I might have gotten it a little bit wrong, but I was close enough. Next, we have Michael writes, hey, Team Buck, would you please tell me the name of the employment website Buck references as a sponsor on the show? It is ZipRecruiter, my friend. Zip Recruiter. So uh, please do check them out. ZipRecruiter.com slash Buck is where you want to go if you want to post a job for free. You can post there for free. Joe, next up. Dave Rubin was on Joe Rogan's podcast recently. Maybe he can put you two together. Really would love to hear a conversation between two open-minded folks. Uh, well, Joe, uh, sounds like fun to me. Um, we, we've invited Dave on recently, but we've been unable to make the schedules work. I would love to get Joe Rogan on, but that's a whole other uh, that's a whole other booking challenge because I'm sure Joe's a very busy guy. But we'll we'll see. And you know, once I get the Freedom Hut podcast going, once all of you listening are downloading that Freedom Hut podcast, then it makes all these things a lot easier, much more likely, I think. So uh, there you have it, James. Uh, next up here, question: Where is HRC? No comments, not one word. Um, 
Well, James, she did write a tweet after last week's whole IG fiasco where she wrote, my emails. It's kind of like that. Uh, or but my emails, something like that. So she hasn't been entirely quiet, but she's certainly, relatively speaking, laying low, given all the things that are happening right now. Uh, next, we have W.H. Smith who writes, if you want to keep up on the latest studies, you want to download Granny Stormcrows. What? I don't know what this is. All right, I'm going to go to the next one, W.H., sorry. Um, Michael. Michael writes, hey, did you ever do any dives in the Battle of Kosovo? Kosovo? After fighting Islam for nearly a thousand years, you can sort of understand what the Serbs did after the breakup of Yugoslavia. Uh, one man's war crime, another man's self-defense. Uh, Michael, I have never done a deep dive on Kosovo and uh, the Battle of Kosovo. And the Balkans conflict is not something that I've, the more recent one, not something that I've spent any time on really professionally. Uh, so I don't know, I don't know that as well as I know a lot of other conflicts and conflict zones. Uh, but certainly something we could add in once I have a little more time to add things into the mix. Erica writes, much like the New York district attorney filing a lawsuit against Trump's charity on the day of the IG's report, I believe Comey went public with Wiener's laptop at the opportune moment to push the Podesta emails off the news cycle. Hmm. Comey bringing up Hillary's email wasn't going to cost her a single Hillary voter, but Podesta's emails were costing her Bernie voters. Podesta's emails were so juicy, the mainstream media couldn't stop talking about them. They covered them extensively until the Comey reopening announcement. Then you never heard about the contents of Podesta's emails ever again. Uh, Erica? There you, there you have it. There's your theory. So thank you for, thank you for sharing it. I, I will just share it without comment. Uh, Lauren writes, can't hardly wait is the best. No one drink the beer. The beer has gone bad. Lauren, I agree. Can't hardly wait. It's amazing. Really should be a much more celebrated part of cinema than it is. You know, I think people don't give it really. It's don't give it its due. It was before people started mocking all these teen movies. I feel like in many ways it was the quintessential teen movie. So, yes, can't hardly wait. Jennifer Love Hewitt at her abs- at the absolute peak of her movie star powers. Aaron, next here. Buck, the left won't admit to bias by the DOJ because obviously they all suffer from an unconscious bias. There should be state-mandated education and training programs to help all Obama holdovers see their deep-down hatred for Trump. Just as a California state employee, I had to go through training to show me how deep-down a racist and sexist I am. Um, you know, unconscious bias is an interesting way to, uh, to approach the issue of this IG report. Because we have pretty clear conscious bias, I think, from the folks involved in the IG, or the ones that are singled out in the IG report. Uh, but it is worth noting that we are told on issues of race and gender and other things that even if we take no action that is particularly problematic, uh, if we have, we likely have biases that are influencing our thinking anyway. So, yeah, obviously a double standard there. Gene! Here we go. Um... Hmm. No, we're going to skip that one. Warren writes, hey, Buck, more on the unfairness of male versus female in sports. 
The Matildas, an Australian women's soccer team, had a training match before going to the last World Cup. Well, the under-15 boys team from Newcastle uh, got beat 7-0. Okay. Uh, oh, okay, so you're telling me that the, a, uh, the Australian women's soccer, national soccer team lost to the under-15 boys team. Hmm. Also, I believe Dunny is more of an Oz Kiwi expression for a toilet. Kazi is common in England. I remember it in a skit. Warren in Oregon. Well, Warren, thank you so much. And I, I did not know that story about the Australian women's national team, but now I do. Thanks to you. Bob. Bob sent me some uh, very nice photos of some perfectly cooked steak here. Buck, you must get into sous vide cooking, especially for your ribeyes. It will significantly improve your scrambled eggs. Bob, you seem like a good guy, and I like you. But we both know there's no improving on perfection. The scrambled eggs are perfect. Spencer, next up here. Hey, Buck, great shows. Good news this week with the IG report. Uh, but I find it hard to believe that with all the evidence to the contrary that the IG concluded that there wasn't political bias involved in their actions. Seems like another example of letting the Dems off the hook for salvaging the reputation of the institution. Another soft punch when a good smack is what is needed. Lastly, on Rising, been enjoying it, but your mic needs to be higher on your lapel. Can hear Crystal perfectly, but your audio is not loud and clear enough. Keep up the great work, Shields. Hi, Spencer. Well, Spencer, thank you so much, and I will take your audio uh, critique to the powers that be. You're probably correct, because we've been trying to get going with all kinds of stuff. Uh, So, technical stuff that we're working through. Sandy writes, Commie Bear is the best. Well, Sandy, I agree. Many of you have been saying, where is Commie Bear? I've been saving Commie Bear. He's been on injured reserve for the Freedom Hut podcast. So it's it's going to be kind of like the the inside baseball Buck Sexton show Freedom Hut extravaganza each week. So that's why for those of you, as I've been saying, those of you who listen live on radio or live streaming, please do subscribe. The Freedom Hut with Buck Sexton. I'll also be putting it on the Facebook page. I'll make it easy for you to download it. And the more folks download it, the more fun stuff we can do and the more episodes there will be. I also have not forgotten my promise to bring back Shields High. It will happen. I just have not even had a a moment to uh, think about it in the last three months, really, uh, because of the time constraints. Because I do it all myself. I'm a one-man band on those things. I write it. I research it. I record it. I audio edit it. The whole thing takes a lot of time. Uh, Next up here, William. Uh, So does the FBI close down for the day like Starbucks? Uh, Is that how they do their bias training? Yeah, William, it's ridiculous, isn't it? I, mean, I think we can all just be honest about the fact that it's completely and utterly preposterous. So, yeah, it's it's uh, not going to make anything better. Thomas, in your opening statement, you talk about the bias in the IG report. You need to put it all in context from the perspective of the IG. He is confined to reflecting if the bias was uh, integral in investigative procedures and direct results of investigative conclusions. No, Thomas, I, I know. I'm aware, but it's very unsatisfying, very unsatisfying that he, it felt like he had to dance around the issues quite, quite a bit, uh, the, or the inspector general office had to dance around the issue. Uh, Don writes, just discovered your show on 870 in Southern California. Love the insights and stories. Uh, we don't have a show that interviews insiders in SoCal anymore in the evening. Well, Don, thank you. Please spread the word. Hoping to get uh, lots of Cali folks listening in on the show. So please uh, 
Tell tell folks and, and keep listening yourself. I, I want Team Buck Cali to be huge. Uh, we have Jen writes, amazing show. Thank you, Jen. Something I've often wondered is with all these conservatives putting out dog, if all these conservatives are putting out dog whistle comments, but only liberals seem to be the ones to hear it, who exactly are the dogs? Who let the dogs out? Who let the dogs out? Remember that? It's like the, It's like a song that was specifically written and designed just to have played over the PA system at stadiums, sports stadiums, right? Uh, what were they called again? The, the Baja Men, I think, is what they were called or something like that. The, who let the dogs out? Something like that. I forget. Uh, but I remember the song, obviously. Ken writes next year, Hey, Buck, big fan of the show. Thanks for your hard work. Would you mind taking a few minutes and just explaining what GDP really is and how it works? Okay. I've heard the term plenty of times, but I don't have a clear understanding of it. I just heard you comparing GDP growth under Obama with Trump. I want to make sure I grasp the significance of that. Thanks, Buck. I listen to your show in my car on patrol. And if I'm off, I listen on iHeart. Well, Ken, thank you so much, man. Thank you for keeping our streets safe, by the way. And the short way to think of GDP, gross domestic product, is all the stuff, that the value of everything produced by all people and all companies in a country. Uh, and there are different ways to measure GDP. There's nominal GDP and real GDP. And then you look at the GDP growth rate. There's GDP per capita. I know, it's exciting stuff, right? So just all the things going on. GDP is like all the things. In the, in the in the commerce. Uh, so, as I said, please do get ready for the Freedom Hub podcast to drop this week. Subscribe to it. And, uh, well, we're going to have a fun show tomorrow, team. So, until then, you have your orders. Shield tie.